So I'm going to jump right into scripture this morning. If this is your first time here, I just want to acknowledge that this is a long scripture. And um, we're feeling extra holy post-Easter. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but it is long, and I want to jump right into it. And then I'm going to pray, because we're going to need to pray after the scripture. Um, it is Old Testament. If you know me, you know I love the Old Testament. And, um, and sometimes those Old Testament stories, they just, you know, they need a little to unravel. Um, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis 38. It is going to be on the screen, so don't worry if you don't have a Bible with you this morning. We're going to be uh, reading Genesis 38, starting with verse 1. It says, At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hirah. There Judah married the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and made love to her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son who was named Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. She gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. It was at Kizib that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the child would not be his, so whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death also. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up, for he thought he may die too, just like his brother's. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Tinmah to the men who were shearing his sheep, and his friend Hirada Adalamite went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, clothed herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to Inam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that though Shelah had grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come, now let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. He said, what pledge should I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adelamite, in order to get his pledge back from the woman, but he did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, where is the shrine prostitute who's beside the road at Inam? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides, the men who live there said, there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her keep what she has or we will become a laughingstock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but didn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution 
and as a result, she's now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law, I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son, Sheila. And he did not sleep with her again. When her time came to give birth, it turned out there were twins in her womb. As she was giving birth, one put his hand out. The midwife tied a red thread on his hand saying, this one came first. But then he pulled it back and his brother came out and she said, oh, a breakout. <laughs> so she named him Perez, which means breakout. Then his brother came out with the red thread on his hand and they named him Zira, which means bright. Let's go ahead and pray. <laughs> oh, Jesus, we, uh, we really need you this morning. Um, this scripture is crazy and intense, and there's, there's so many questions we have right now in this moment um, about this passage. And God, I thank you that you delight in our questions. I thank you that you love our questions, God, that you love it when we come to you and say, God, what is this about? What are you doing? Father, you are always inviting us to you. Lord, I know there are, there are people in this room, this is their first time. There are people that may have just come in off the street. There are people here that have been part of this community for years. Lord, would you meet each one of us today exactly how we need you? Father, I thank you that you are the God that brings redemption into our lives, that there is nothing that cannot be redeemed. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to you this morning to once again believe you and your work in our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. So today we're talking about the topic of redemption. And it's a word that is thrown around a lot these days, often with very little meaning. Take, for example, Mariah Carey. <laughs> Some of you may remember that in 2016, she performed at the New Year's Rocking Eve show. And it was a little bit of a disaster of a performance. And social media, she was trending for a long time afterwards. And there was, you know, it's, it was a bit of a spectacle. And then she was invited back the following year to perform again, right? And at that time, a celebrity news station published this headline about her comeback. All I want for Christmas is redemption. Mariah Carey is giving New Year's Eve another try. Now, of course, she came back and she did her thing and she's Mariah and she kind of slayed it. And it was like, oh, Mariah's redeemed. She can actually sing. We love her again. But is this a really good example of redemption? Is that what redemption is really about, a do-over? A second chance, a comeback to try again and show everyone that you can do it better this time? Is that a good example of redemption? No doubt we all have parts in our story that we'd like redeemed. There are parts of our history, our story, our life that we really would like a do-over. We wish that someone would invite us to come back and just try again and for it to wipe away all our history, all our past. We'd all like a different ending to our story. Tamar in this story is no different. 
She has suffered. She's been a victim of injustice. There is a lot going on for her, a lot of broken promises. She became very desperate, very, very desperate for a different end to her story, for some level of redemption, for something to be redeemed. But why is this story here? I mean, it's a really uncomfortable read, right? It's, it's not a pleasant bedtime story for our children. <laughs> it's something that we read and we think, oh, I would have been okay not reading this story, you know? <laughs> and it kind of like intrudes into Genesis in a strange way. And it's like, well, why does this even matter to us? Well, there's a couple of things to know is that these two characters, Judah and Tamar, they are part of Abraham's line. Tamar married into Abraham's line. And with that, the covenant that God had made with Abraham was now her promise too. God had made this covenant with Abraham that through his family line would come redemption for the entire world. That through this family, everything would be saved. Everything would be made whole and be restored. And yet this story is an absolute train wreck. I mean, this family is so far gone off the rails, it's really disturbing to read it. It's a story of sin, injustice, deception. It's a disaster. Is there anything from this story that can be salvaged? Can God do anything with this story? Can he pull anything out of it? Well, let's talk about that this morning. We have two key players here, Judah, and he's married, and he has three boys, and he marries his first son to Tamar, but he is a wicked man, and so God kills the first husband. Now, to understand the second piece of this, we have to understand the cultural context, that it was written into Jewish law, that the brother would marry the widow and provide children for her. It was provision for the widow. You see, to be a woman without an heir, without an inheritance, without children and without a spouse was a really vulnerable situation. So this was actually a provision for the woman. But this guy comes along and he marries Tamar, but he's like, I don't want to share my inheritance. I'm not going to give you any more children that we'd have to divide this up between. So he refuses to give her children and that was not okay with God. So he dies too. Now, it's, you're starting to feel a little bit of a theme of like a black widow going on here. Everyone that Tamar marries dies, right? I mean, but it's not her fault. It's not her doing anything wrong. It's these evil men that are dying, but there's this begin this, this label that Tamar is having to live under, probably the gossiping and the questioning. And here comes Judah, her father-in-law, and he says, oh, I'm going to give you my third son. Right, like you've killed my first one and my second one, but I'm going to give you my third one. He has no intention of giving Tamar his third son. And he sends her back home and he says, just wait, just wait until he's old enough and then I'll provide for you. Then I'll come through for you. This person who was supposed to protect her, this person that held all the power, had no intention of following through to provide for Tamar. She is a victim of significant injustice. She's a woman in a culture where they have no rights, no power. She's been widowed twice. She has no child, no heir, no inheritance, no provision for a future. Who is even gonna put food on the table for her? 
She's been labeled. She's been sent back to her family. Her reputation is probably in shreds. She's disappointed. She's confused. She has questions. She's probably feeling a tremendous amount of shame. And perhaps what's most painful of all is that this promise has been made. I'm going to come through for you. I'm going to give you another husband. It's going to be okay. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. And we don't know how long that went on for, but at some point, Tamar realizes what we know, that Judah had no intention of coming through on that promise. And she gets very, very, very desperate. Now, it's important to remember that the Old Testament is not just telling us how we should live our lives, right? Um, it, it's telling us like, it's telling us how God works through the lives of broken people. Tamar is by no means an example of how we should respond to injustice, right? She essentially prostitutes herself to her father-in-law. That is not what we should do, all right? And I want to make that really clear in case anyone, anyone's curious. Um, that is not what the scripture is saying. But there is something from this passage that we can glean. There are some questions that we should be asking. Can this be redeemed? Can something good come out of this? I mean, this is Abraham's line. These are the covenant people. These are those, the ones that carry the promise of the Messiah. And it's a train wreck. It's so disastrous. It's so far off from what God intended. I mean, they're lying and they're deceiving and the sexual sin. And then at the end, it's like, let's burn her alive. I mean, it's really out there. Can God do something with this? What can possibly come out of something so dark, so dead, so disastrous? Can something good come up from that? In the midst of injustice, in the midst of blatant sin, can God still work his redemptive plan? And what about our lives? We may have not gone as far as Judah or Tamar, but certainly we would probably all agree that there are parts of our life we'd like redeemed. There are parts of our life we'd like back to say, oh, I'd like that to look different. There's an ache in us to have a do-over, some kind of change, a different ending, a different story, a different kind of narrative. There are periodic moments when we get a Mariah comeback, right? There are little things which we do get a chance to do over again and kind of make right and make good, but those are so few and far between in life. Most of life is not the opportunity to just try again and do it better. Then there's the Tamar way where she takes matters into her own hand. And you might say she got a little bit of redemption. I mean, she got children, but at what cost? Trying to do it in her own effort to make it happen, but the price that she paid was so high. Are pieces of redemption all that we can hope for? Just little shreds of a glimmer of brightness of hope, everything else feeling kind of dull and buried and ignored? Is that all we can hope for in the Christian life? Is that all Jesus paid for on the cross? Just a few bright moments where we feel like, oh, something good came from that. There are so many things that we can't do over, so many things we can't heal or bring back to life. What do we do with those things? Is there hope for those things? That's what we ask when we look at the, Ju the story of Judah and Tamar. Can anything good come here? That's what we ask when we look at some of the parts of our own story, our own history. 
our family line, our mistakes, our regrets, things we wished had never happened to us. Is there any hope? What about when things get so bad that we can't redeem ourselves? Growing up in the UK, I watched a lot of the BBC version of the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, if you haven't watched that, I highly rec recommend it. It's like super old now, still the best thing ever. And uh, C.S. Lewis, of course, wrote the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And uh, he had this amazing ability to unpack deep spiritual truths for young minds to understand. And this story follows the lives of four children that, of course, go through the wardrobe and they end up in Narnia. And here in Narnia, it's winter time because the witch rules, death rules, darkness rules. Narnia is under the power of evil. And she tricks Edmund, one of the, the young children, into betraying Aslan. Aslan is the king of Narnia. In this story, he represents Jesus. And he tricks, she tricks him with candy. <laughs> and he betrays Aslan. And then she parades him in front of Aslan, and this is what she says. You know that every traitor belongs to me as my lawful prey, and that for every treachery I have a right to kill. And so that human creature is mine. His life is forfeit to me. His blood is my property. Unless I have blood, as the law says, all Narnia will be overturned and perish in fire and water. Here, Edmund has become the property of the witch. There is no hope for Edmund's situation. There's no do-over. There's no second chance. What he did, by law, made his life forfeit. He now belongs to the witch. This is exactly our story. When sin entered the world in the garden, death was given rights. It owned us. We became the property of death. Our lives were forfeit. We face the exact same situation as Edmund. I can't redeem myself. There's nothing I can do. But then, of course, in comes Aslan. Speaking from the voice of Jesus, and he says, though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time, but if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. Edmund couldn't raise his hand and say, give me another chance. I'll come back next year, just like Mariah, and I'll do it better. I'll show myself like I will, I will not be tricked next time. I will not take the Turkish delight. I will make a better choice. Like, give me a chance to prove that I have changed. There was no option for Edmund to do that. The witch already owned him. Death already owned him. But what if a willing victim would stand in his place? What if a trade was made? What if Aslan climbed on that stone table instead of Edmund? What if Jesus climbed on the cross instead of us? See, that's the story of redemption. When Jesus said, I love you so much, I see your story, I see you can't redeem it. I see there's no do-over, there's no second chance, death owns you. 
Sin owns you. Your life is forfeit. There's nothing you can do. So I'm going to take your place. I'm going to take your place because I want relationship with you. You see, the biblical narrative is a story of redemption, not the Mariah Carey kind of redemption, but the truest kind of redemption. It's not a do-over, and it's not about redeeming ourselves. The truest story of redemption is that our lives were completely lost to death, and then someone loved us so much that they didn't just give us a do-over, and they didn't give us a a second chance. Jesus gave us a brand new life. And this new life is not made up of pieces of redemption, little, little glimmers here and there, but it's total, it's complete, it's every part of us. Our lives, our history, our past, our families, our mistakes, our regrets, our abuse, injustice, our suffering, that Jesus took it all to the cross so there could be complete redemption. We can hope for more than just a piece of redemption. In 1 Corinthians it says, for since death came through one, ra- one man, The resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Our past, our present, our future, redeemed. See, God has always been redemptive. It's part of his nature. In the garden, when sin came into the world, it wasn't like the Trinity looked at each other and said, shoot, what are we going to do? We're going to have to figure out some kind of redemption plan here. It was already who he is. It was already part of him. And the Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he doesn't change. And what that means is that we can bank on the fact that he's still redemptive, that he's still restoring, he's still redeeming our stories. Maybe you're here today, and for the first time you're thinking, huh, I've never experienced that kind of redemption. I don't know this redeemer. But maybe, just maybe it's possible that somebody did take my place, that somebody loved me that much that they would redeem all these parts of my story that I have no idea what to do with. Maybe that's you here today. Maybe you're a Jesus follower today and you've been walking with Jesus and you know your redeemer and you're like, yeah, Jesus redeemed me, died on the cross, he resurrected, we celebrated that last week, I'm redeemed. Is there more? I believe there is. Because redemption's being worked into our lives. See, death is still at work in the world, right? There's still injustice, there's still sin, there's still pain. All of this stuff still exists. So God is constantly unraveling this redemption plan. He's constantly redeeming all the parts of our lives. Is there any part of your life this morning that hasn't experienced the redemption power of Jesus? Is there any part of your story that's written off that you look at and think that's so bad, nothing could come of that? Could God salvage anything from that relationship, from that part of my story, from that history, from my family? Could God salvage anything from that? I believe that there is nothing that is too dark and too dead that God cannot salvage. Judah and Tamar are a perfect example of that. Jesus is making death work backwards, like C.S. Lewis says. Everything he did on earth, healing, deliverance, raising people from the dead, he's like turning it upside down and making it all work backwards, that life would come into our lives. 
Dead things start living, broken things are restored, lost things are found. It's not enough to say, I've been redeemed. If you haven't experienced that redemption power throughout your entire story, it's not enough to say, I know my redeemer, and still have these parts of our life that we're like, yeah, well, those things, I don't know about that. He doesn't want to touch those things. He does want to touch those things. That's exactly what he wants. Where is the story of injustice in your life? Where is the brokenness? Where is the sin? Where are the scars? What part of your narrative is Jesus wanting to restore and redeem this morning? You see, this wasn't the end of Tamar's story. There's another final piece that I think shows us really how committed God is to his promise, his covenant, his commitment to redemption. Matthew 1 This is the genealogy of Jesus. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Tamar, unjustly treated, rejected, black widow, made some really bad choices, Tamar, She becomes a descendant, a connected person to Jesus. She becomes a foremother. No longer is she just this person that's a black widow that made some bad choices, that has all these labels, that was left abandoned with no children and no heir. Suddenly from her comes the Messiah. God could have used any of Jacob's kids. Why Judah? through Tamar, because God is a God of redemption. It's his delight to go for the worst situation, the most terrible story that we think, ah, could have avoided that one, feel really uncomfortable. God's like, oh, those are the ones I love. Those are the ones that I get to do really incredible, beautiful things with to show off my redemptive self. What part of your story is God went to grab onto this morning and say, let me show you just how redemptive I am. Let me show you how far I will go. See, redemption rewrites Tamar's story. She's no longer this abandoned widow. She's a foremother of Jesus. And the woman who couldn't have children... In fact, there was so much injustice and suffering around not having children, suddenly has children that are part of the line of Jesus. Tamar's greatest struggle became the place of her greatest inheritance. The very area where she fought and she struggled and she even succumbed to blatant sin, despair and hopelessness, this place was where God brought about her greatest inheritance. She lost two husbands and she gained two children. And from them came the Messiah, the one that would ultimately redeem all of us. There's one tiny detail in the story that I personally like to geek out about. Some of you may remember Leah, that's 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 Judah's mom. Um, She was married to Jacob. Leah was the one that Jacob married that, but he didn't really want her. She was like a nobody. She was like unloved and living in the shadow of her sister Rachel for her whole life. So much pain, so much rejection. Judah was her child. That means Jesus came from Leah and from Tamar. Women that were overlooked and uncared for 
rejected, abandoned. Nobody's suddenly become somebody in the kingdom of God. Women that felt like they had nothing to show for their lives. Suddenly God says, no, you are queens in the kingdom of God. From you, I will bring the Messiah. Some of you here this morning, this is a word for some of you women. Some of you relate to Leah. You've lived under a shadow. You have felt unloved and rejected. You may have even experienced some of the injustice like Tamar. And God would say to you this morning, you are queen in the kingdom of God. You're no, lo no longer a nobody, but you are somebody in my eyes. You see, Leah and Tamar, they probably never realized the fullness of their redemption story. They probably thought, well, we had children. That's great. Tamar probably had no idea who she was giving birth to. We have no idea how far God will go with his redemption story. This week, I was chatting to one of my neighbors. He has a, a very large palm tree in his property next to us. And we were talking about it. He was cutting some of the branches. And uh, he, we were reflecting on the fact that it was probably planted about three decades ago. And he was saying that when they moved into the house about 20 so years ago, the, the palm tree was only about as big as him. And now it's way past the roofs of these houses. And there was a moment this week, and we, we stood outside and we were looking up, and I said to him, how big is this going to get? And he's like, I don't know. And I said, well, at some point, it's got to stop growing, right? And we just looked up and we said, we don't know. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit said to me, that is exactly how redemption works in, our, in, in your life. You look up and you say, how far can this go? And we go, I have no idea. Because God is growing something so big, so beyond, we have no idea the scope of how he will unravel redemption in our lives on behalf of our parents, our grandparents, the generations before us, the generations that will come after us. There's no limit. There's no scope. There's no end to how big God gets with showing off his redemptive qualities. There's a tiny piece of the story at the end that is so unusual. It's the birth of Tamar's children, unusually recorded in detail. <laughs> One child puts out his hand and they tie around him the scarlet thread to identify him as the firstborn. Obviously, this child's coming first. And then the hand disappears. I mean, as a mother, this is like a weird story, but... So the hand goes back in, and then out comes Perez. He is not the one with the scarlet thread. He bursts out all of a sudden, unexpected, and now he is the firstborn. Perez, which means breakout, or to breach, or to burst forth. Listen, this is reflective of how God works in our lives. Redemption comes from nowhere, it rearranges the order, it rewrites the narrative and it changes the ending. It changes the ending. The scarlet thread said, this one's going to be the first boy. And God said, mm-mm, I'm going to bring forth Perez first. There are places in our life where we are living under the shadow of a scarlet thread. This will be my story. This is what's going to happen. I can see the ending. I can see the fallout of my sin, my blatant sin, because I didn't trust God with this relationship. I'm never going to get married. Because I stepped out and did something now I really regret, then there's no comeback from that. Because of my injustice, because of the abuse, because of how I've suffered, I can never have fill in the blanks. And God says to you, I am the God that changes the ending of your story. I'm the God that will do it differently. I'll take that thing that you think, oh, this is how it's going to be. 
And I will show you that redemption breaches. Redemption bursts in. Redemption rearranges the order and does something and we have to stand back and just say like that palm tree, gosh, how big can this get? How big can his story get in our life? What is God wanting to rearrange in your life today? What is the ending that you feel like this is just the way it's gonna be? This is all I have. This is my hand in life. To hope for anything more like I've probably spent that card. I've probably used up all the grace. There's probably nothing left. Look, if anyone had used up all the grace, it was Judah and Tamar, okay? Like, I mean, that story is it's really difficult and painful and heavy, and yet God says, even from this, I can bring forth the Messiah. If God can bring forth the Messiah from that family line, what can he do with yours? I want you to sit and think about that for a moment. What part of your story needs redeeming today? See, redemption brings a new ending, a new name, a new future. Beautiful, incredible things come out of the worst situations. Shauna Nequist has a quote and she says, the best, most redeeming, exciting thing I can imagine from the smashed up, broken place I've been is that something beautiful could blossom out of the wreckage. This is what I know. God can make something beautiful out of anything, out of darkness and trash and broken bones. He can shine light into even the darkest, the blackest night, and he leaves glimpses of hope all around us. Maybe for the first time today, you're realizing that you want to try this, that you want to see how redemptive Jesus really is. Maybe you're here this morning and you came at Easter and you're checking out the church and just thinking, maybe this Jesus thing is for me. This word is for you this morning, that the Redeemer is inviting you to bring your life and all the stuff that you think nobody else would want to deal with And he wants to invite you to bring it so he can say, let me show you what kind of God I am. Let me show you what kind of redeemer I am. I love you and I'm gonna rewrite your story. Some of us here today, we know Jesus, but we also know we've got places of shame and sin, places of abuse where we have experienced injustice, places that feel so dark that we just like, don't want to look at them. And we're, we're happy living with shreds of redemption, pieces of redemption. Let me tell you this this morning. God did not die. Jesus did not die for you to live on shreds of redemption, pieces that you can try and do over and pay penance for and, and do better. Jesus came for your complete redemption, every part of your story. Dave McKinney was up here talking about baptism. For some of you this morning, that's your next step. And you have been terrified to take it because that means everything. That means like I'm going down into the water and I'm coming up and it's, and it's everything. And I, I'm not sure if everything can be redeemed. Well, that's what this story tells us, that Jesus redeems it all. That you can go down into that water and you can come up because it's not for a second chance. And it's not for a do-over, it's for a totally new life. This morning, I want to encourage you to respond. 
What is that part of your life that you feel like that part of my story needs to experience the work of redemption? What peace do you want to bring to Jesus today? I want to encourage you. We have the carpets at the front here. To just come and say, God, if you can redeem Judah and Tamar's story, if something good, something as good as Jesus and the Messiah could come from that, Jesus, would you show me what you can do with my life? There's all these pieces, and I I don't know what to do with them, but would you show me just how redemptive you are, just how far you go, just how big this thing could get? Some of you this morning are going to come and kneel on behalf of your parents, your family, your children, your children's children's children, because we don't know how big this thing's going to get. And say, Jesus, will you do it? Will you do it in their lives? Maybe some of us know people this morning that are still living in that winter Narnia, that are under that threat of death, and you're just like, Jesus, I'm going to stand here on behalf of my family and say, would you let this thing go out as wide as possible? My roommates, my co-workers, whoever it is, just believe God for something bigger than just yourself. I mean, sometimes it's hard enough to believe God for just ourselves, but this morning I want to push you a little further in faith and say, can you believe God for more than just yourself? Can you believe God for your children's future, for your roommate, for your co-worker, for your boss, for our president, whoever it is? Can we believe God for that? That's the invitation this morning. We have prayer teams that are going to be at the side. I want to invite the worship team to come on out. We have communion up front. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to come forward and take part in communion. And as you do, let it be an act of faith of Jesus. I I want you to show me how far this can go, how big your redemption is. I want to bring that part of me that feels like it has been my shame, my pain, my suffering, that I felt like nothing could redeem it. I want to bring it to you this morning. Jesus, I just thank you. Lord, I, I... I just thank you that the, the story of Judah and Tamar, it, it just feels like, oh, that, why is that there? It's so painful. It's so awkward. And yet, it's like, that's a hope. Our hope is to look at that story and say, if them, then me too. God, if you can give Leah and Tamar some kind of redemption, then me too. Like, I want to slide myself right into that line. And Lord, this morning, that's what I want to say for me, for my family, but for all of us. I felt like this week as I was planning this sermon that God specifically spoke to me about people here that were struggling with their body, like a physical, um, almost like kind of like eating disorder, like a physical thing going on with your body where you feel disconnected from your body, where you feel like that's, that's your story of shame that you don't want anyone to know about. It's related to your physical body. It's kind of like a hatred thing going on. Jesus wants you to bring that this morning for him to restore you and to heal you. feel like there are people here that feel like you messed up so bad and it was deliberate and you knew when you were doing it 
that you were making a decision that wasn't good and you did it anyway and you feel like because of that, that's the end of your story or this is as good as it gets or you can't hope that God would still bless you. The beautiful thing about the story of Judah and Tamar is like, Tamar knew exactly what she was doing. Judah knew exactly what he was doing. And yet God still said, I'm still gonna show you who I am. If that's you this morning, I wanna encourage you to come forward for prayer. Jesus, would you show us this morning that you are a redeemer who redeems all things. In Jesus' name, amen.